0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Vocal Arts, the podcast that explores the world of professional voice artists. My name is Peter Barber, and I'll be your guide along this path of vocal performance. What's that? (laughs) Oh, why am I qualified to host this show? Well, for starters, I got my master's degree in, you guessed it, vocal arts and performance from the University of Southern California. I trained one-on-one with world-class singers, and learned all about the physiology and function of the human voice from leading voice scientists. Beyond that, I currently sing opera professionally as a resident artist at the Academy of Vocal Arts. Since quarantine started, I began producing my own a cappella music, from arranging to recording, mixing, and mastering. I've performed in basically every genre from EDM to chamber choir, And with an undergrad major in audio engineering, I can comfortably bridge the gap between live performance and studio recordings. From the grandiose space of a 3,000-seat opera house to the intimate, soundproof booths used in voiceover. But perhaps most importantly, I'm just a young artist, fascinated by the various careers in vocal performance and inspired to learn more about them from the best and brightest vocal talent the world has to offer. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. And no matter what your involvement is within the world of vocal arts, I hope that here on this podcast, you can both learn something and enjoy. Today's guest is Veronica Swift. At age 26, Veronica Swift has become one of the world's most sought after jazz talents. At age nine, she recorded her first album and began professionally touring with her parents, as well as the Young Rascals Jazz Project. At age 11, after recording her second album, she headlined her first show at Dizzy's Club Coca-Cola at Jazz at Lincoln Center. Just before graduating from the University of Miami, Veronica was awarded second place at the Thelonious Monk 2015 Jazz Vocal Competition, landing her a showcase at the esteemed Birdland Jazz Club in New York City, where she maintained a weekly residency while touring internationally with famous trumpeter Chris Bodie. Over the past few years, Veronica signed a record deal with Mack Avenue Recordings and released her 2019 album entitled Confessions. She has also toured and performed on numerous occasions with Michael Feinstein, Benny Green, Wynton Marsalis, and the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra, appearing at many of the world's legendary jazz festivals and clubs. Veronica and I go way back, all the way back to sixth grade at Hemley Middle School, a simpler time, and a more awkward time to be sure but it looks like we've both turned out okay. We cover a lot of ground in this conversation, discussing what it means to be an artist, to be a storyteller, the comparisons between jazz and operatic lifestyles, international tours, going to school in Miami, and much more. (laughs) We went out to dinner the day after this interview, and she casually clued me in that the week prior, she went out to dinner with Sting while she was in New York. Now, I'm obviously a much more exciting dinner date than Sting, But save some fame for the rest of us, would you? Please welcome Veronica Swift. Welcome to Vocal Arts.
1: So what have you been up to today? You mentioned that your your director had the equipment you needed. So what kind of projects yeah. have you been doing?
2: Well, um, of course I've been preparing. I mean, luckily I I recorded my the album that's coming out in a couple of months. I luckily recorded it before everything hit. Okay. Um, so this whole the whole year of twenty twenty has just been, uh, prom, you know, promotional stuff for the new record. Lots of marketing, in house stuff, which is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's been taken care of. And in the meantime, I've taken the opportunity with the time off that I never will get again to put this movie together that I've been wanting to make for a long time. I am a screenwriter. <laughs> you know, never, I've never worked on a feature film project before, but I've written for shorts and acted in shorts. So I thought maybe let's take a, let's take a crack at doing a long, uh, you know, feature length film.
1: Yeah. How's that whole process going for you?
2: Well, I mean, it was going really great at the beginning, but people, you know, once things looked more started to look more serious, people started backing out and it got more difficult. So
3: okay.
2: we're kind of on a hiatus right now trying okay. to re- reorganize ourselves. We have my director, John Johnson, um, has, you know, he, he gets people, people have to get tested to come on set. Um, we, he and I get tested weekly, especially because I still do travel. Um, right, safely. right. I do safely but you know I still do travel with everything going on.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're still working and I mean I think if you're getting tested that's about as that's about as good as you can do right now as a performing yeah. artist, you know.
2: But there's really like no gigs, man. Even yeah. for even for me like I, I was just really about to hit a huge stride in yeah. you know, yeah. my career and I you know I'm am still at the top of my i not the climax, but I mean top of my game. You know, I was I'm still go- going hard, going strong. But it's even for me, there's no gigs
1: really. Yeah. So what was the gig? You just did a a gig for the Birdland Club. I watched your I watched your oh, performance. I loved your song. Did you write that?
2: No, that's a Clyde Otis song that actually Dinah Washington recorded maybe like fifty years ago.
1: Bitter Earth is that what it's called?
2: Yeah, and it's it's if you listen to Dinah Washington's version, also a. Either Aretha or Etta also did it. Aretha, I think. And it's, you know, very different. It's like 12-8 shuffle groove okay. with major key. It's a completely different song. Like, I I heard a minor rendition of it in the relative minor, and I thought, hmm, let's run with that and see what we can do with it. And I got together with the arranger of that for the strings and said, I want this kind of moody piano intro, and I'm hearing all this other stuff. And he put it to, of course, charted it for strings and we got in the studio and got, got to do that. And it was just magic. And I told everyone, I want to record this one live. You know, I don't want it to be strings. Then, you know, Emmet get goes on top of that. And then I go on top of that. I want the energy live yeah. in the studio. Yeah. Cause that's how everyone records these days is like, Oh, well, you know, it's still in jazz. We record live, but most everyone records, you know, drum track, bass, guitars, yes. and yeah. then stacking. And it's like, for certain genres, I get it. But for jazz and other kinds of cinematic music, like that, I, I think live is just key.
1: Yeah, I'll say obviously for classical music, we have to record stuff together, which is great. Oh, yeah. But it's been this weird balancing act because I do the classical opera stuff. But lately I've been doing all the acapella stuff. And of yeah, course that, I, I mean, I can't record with six of me at one time. So I have to do it very much, you know, one right. part, one part, one part, one part, and same thing for the videos.
2: It's good that you can do both, you know? Yeah, I'm, not, think... I'm not a recording snob in any way. I like to do it all differently.
1: Yeah. And I, it is important to be versatile nowadays, you know, with so many yeah, mediums. All right. right, right, right. So, uh, let's, uh, jump back a little bit. Can you just give a, a quick rundown about who you are and what you do now? You have a million awesome interest <laughs> projects. So, Maybe just like a, a quick highlight reel, and then we'll, we'll get into spe- specifics as we go.
2: Yep. Well, my name is Veronica Swift, and uh, I'm known as an internationally touring and uh, recording jazz singer. Um, but I like to use the word storyteller, whatever, whatever that means, whether you're writing a book, writing a musical, or, or songs, or singing, or acting. It's all storytelling. That's the real genre.
1: I love that. That's fantastic. And wow, what a what an amazing concise! Like this is what I, I do. It.
2: Practicing that one.
1: <laughs> this is the uh, <laughs> Sam called it the in a bar pitch. You know, you're telling oh, someone no, what I you mean, do in you a bar. To,
2: you have to be able to say, you know, all of my all of our heroes. When you listen to their interviews, um, particularly a like superstar, you know, like Gaga, Manson, uh, you know, Sting, and all these people that are just rock stars, they can say so much in just a short sentence they're so concise because they they practice for this kind of thing yeah and less is more and so yeah I've just been like watching interviews and I just learned that okay what do I what do I want to say and what's the mission statement but in a way that everyone knows what I'm taught it's not yeah
1: I love that you said (laughs) storytelling because that that really is the name of the game like if you're not if you're not telling a story and you're not conveying a message then what's the point
2: Right and and the other thing is that um, music uh, tastes and art tastes and art change like whether they become more or less refined. Uh, it's all art is one of the most subjective things in this world is the beauty of it. but the fact that it's been, it through generations, the tastes change. and the one thing that stays constant even before, written history and written stories is that stories were passed down orally, you know? So that's the one constant in history is that people need to hear stories, good stories.
1: That's so true. And a a good story can captivate anybody. And I'm sure you feel the same way for when performing an opera that like a big part of the goal is to give the audience an escape from whatever they're doing and they get to dive into this new world and this new reality and just be in it for a few hours.
2: Uh, Yeah. And that's, um, that's why I like to write, you know, screenplays and musicals that have really concrete and specific settings that I can actually dive into a new universe. And uh, then you have so much more freedom to do things that maybe you might have constrictions in reality. For example, like when I do Veronica Swift shows, you know, there's a fine, there's definitely like a, a line that I go back and forth, whether it's a real it's a reality check or whether it's escapism, I kind of like play with both concepts in my show. Um, but when I'm writing musicals and, 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 uh, plays and all that stuff, I really do like the escapism, um, aspect of storytelling.
1: So where do you find the time for all these hobbies? Uh, we're, we're similar in the fact that we're juggling a lot of different things at once. Um, and people often ask me, like, how much do I sleep, and like, how do I how do I fit this in when I'm, you know, learning a, a 500 page opera or whatever it is? So, what is what does your daily schedule look like? Do you work on a little bit of something each day, or do you just dive in hard and then finish that and then move on to the next thing?
2: Um, well, both of those really. Uh, it just really depends on, you know, I've spent my life developing my craft and I still work on it. But um, when you're on, well, let's say in terms of normal life obviously this last year has it not been a normal everyday life for me right
3: right i don't
2: really have this much time and i don't know what to do with it and i but let's just talk in terms of like normal life when i'm touring 300 days a year and i don't even have time to pra- like people in the jazz world touring as much as we do we don't even have time to practice and finding time to practice is just is is hard enough and so really like all that i had to really do my job when i was young learning tunes and developing good technique because it's now served me in my career where i really just when i do work on it it's developing something new or kind of just you know uh house cleaning you know it's not like so really the time to do all this other stuff like write music or develop arrangements for for future albums etc i kind of found that I was doing that on the planes, whether, I mean, long flights, not like a two hour plane ride, but like when I'd flew to Australia and then I went to Japan and China and then I went to Europe and then flew back and I was going all over the place. I was finally like, I'd have a couple, few glasses of wine or something. And I would just get to work and write and write and write because I was kind of forced to be in one place. There's literally no outside world around me. I'm up in the air. That was the best place where I, I was most productive with this other stuff.
1: That's really interesting. I've never thought of planes as being like a study hall for for creative exactly, work.
2: Exactly, a study hall. Yeah, a study
1: hall. Yeah. <laughs> I've used them before. I mean, for for learning operas, uh, especially especially the long flights. Uh, for me, that's you know Virginia to LA. Um, for you, it's much longer. But it was a if you could just say you know what I'm not going to watch a movie. I'm just going to grind on this plane. Yeah. Then you've got, you know, six hours or more where you can put in a ton of work and make a ton of progress.
2: Oh, yeah. And and those flights to China, Japan, Australia it was like 14, 15, 16 hours up there. And then there's been so many flights where I literally didn't even get up to use the bathroom because I was so in, like, I was so enthralled by what I was doing. And honestly, like you should you should get some sleep because actually I would say the jet lag's easier to handle when you go to the to for me. Personally, the jet lag is so much easier to handle when you go to Asia or Australia across the globe rather than Europe. It's just close enough.
3: <laughs> but
2: Europe is hard, like, because it's just, it's like five or six hours. It's like some days mm-hmm. you're like, some hours you feel completely fine, and then some hours you're like,
3: <sighs> yeah, yeah, you know?
2: yeah. But when My- you're in China, you're like, well, this is so out of whack. <laughs> I have to get Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. My method for jet lag was always just to stay up until the next bedtime. Like basically skip a bedtime and then just crash at some yeah. point.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, you mentioned earlier uh Lady Gaga and Sting and these these legendary figures. And you've you have gone through a number of periods uh when you really are into an artist and you take a lot from them, like Michael Jackson. We all are like that. We're all like that, exactly. And I'm wondering if. But I remember
2: um, you saw those phases, so. I
1: did. I did. Yes. Spoilers. Veronica and I have known each other since sixth grade, so I've seen all the phases. Um, I'm wondering if you have taken things from all those phases and still used and still incorporate them in what you do now.
2: In some ways, it is cognitive. Like I'm very aware of it. In some ways, it's kind of in my subconscious of how it's it's it, the influences creeping in. Um. Of course, what drew me to, to artists like, it's and it's different artists for different reasons. It's, you know, it, what drew me to artists like Gaga, Michael Jackson, Marilyn Manson, Queen was the extravagance and the majesty and the theater. And yeah. everything was so, symb- everything was symbolism. And, you know, let's be as extreme as we can, which is why I <laughs> love opera too. It can be like yeah.
3: that. Yeah, yeah.
2: And then why I love people like Sting or, or even like jazz artists. I put, I, yeah, I put him in a category... As jazz, in the way that I mean, the subtleties, everything. Okay. That less is more, and I'm learning from kind of both schools. And what I've taken from, at least, at least musically, from, um, I take a lot from Queen, and of course I also take from classical music, which is where Queen took from. You know. Right. I, what I love about music, and what, people do this in jazz especially, but some people forget to do this with pop musicians. And rock, rock and roll is listen to who was influencing who. So you take your let's let's say with jazz singing because that's what people know me as. You say everyone loves Ella Fitzgerald, and that's a given. She's the first lady of swing. Um, but then I ask kids, I or young people, I say, okay, who was Ella Fitzgerald listening to when she was your age? And they can never answer the question. And uh, I say, okay, well, besides instrumentalists, you know, let's say Connie Boswell. And she was this white girl from New Orleans, you know, but, you know, it was in the Boswell sisters. So, and then I was like, okay, cool. I see that. And then you say, okay, who is Connie listening to? And that's what I love to do is trace back to the source.
1: That's really interesting. Yeah. That's, it's really important to know kind of where your heroes, who, who the heroes of your heroes were and so on. And then they
2: become your heroes too.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it's not like the influence just comes out of thin air. I mean, people, you get it from artists that you're inspired by a lot of the and time. And that's what
2: people like you and I have to stand for, you know, when young people listen to us and start saying, Oh, I've been listening. Like I get a lot of young singers who say, I've been listening to your record and this solo and this and that. And I'm like, great. Well, you should listen to Stan Getz and Lester Young and Louis Armstrong. You should right. be listening to that because that's the real. <laughs> right. 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 But yeah, we we have to be a beacon of, influence in that way. Yeah, I
1: totally feel that. I'm in this discord group with tons and tons of young bass singers, mostly. Not all basses, but mostly. Um, There's probably 900 or 1000 of them now. Um, And I'm a mentor to them. So I, in the group, I am both an ambassador. So like they, you know, if I have a new cover or something, they'll go listen to it and support it. But also like when they have questions about singing I'm there to like answer their questions yeah. and kind of guide them. And you know, a lot of them are interested in acapella, a lot of them are interested in classical and it's it's cool to be able to be there and kind of guide them and be like, this is who I'm inspired by in the opera world. So this is who you guys should go, go check out and see what you think.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So um, tell me about what, I don't wanna ask you your favorite gig, but where's a where's a place that you have really loved performing?
2: Well, this last year, The first one that comes to mind, I really don't, couldn't answer that question, but before COVID, I couldn't answer that question because I was just gigging so much. And I was just like, not that it it all seems like the same thing, but it is like going to the office. It's just, that's what I do. And it's, I don't really think, you know, I take certain experiences away from me, but it doesn't necessarily mean it has to do with the gig. Um, But I will say because of COVID, there was one, I had pretty much only two live gig, three, three live gigs last year after it hit. And one of them was probably the most influential gig that I'll ever have in my life. Well, I say that every time something like the Winton Marsalis gig was like one of the most inspiring gigs to me, but for different reasons, in terms of what you're talking about, I would say Florence last year, Mm. I was in Florence in August and it was like one of the only gigs happening, especially to this caliber. I mean, it was usually it's like 3000 2000 people in the in the gardens uh, but this year they you know since it's all had 25% capacity so they had like 500 people which is still a lot so we were really lucky that you know we had multimedia production you know huge uh stage, 80 piece orchestra uh i was dancing and singing opera and singing jazz and doing all the things that i want to do and i don't get to do often just because I haven't had the time to develop it but this show really gave me kind of a way to showcase all this other stuff that I do and I was playing with some of the most talented opera singers jazz singers musicians you know conductors and there was the guy who was there Sam we danced with together we were dancing and he was like hollywood mgm 1940 you know
1: (laughs) it sounds like a perfect a perfect gig for you especially
2: it was it was that was probably one of the best gigs of my life yeah especially because you know it's like so that's like the only thing going on like that in that whole year probably yeah
1: and i bet i bet that gig was as special for everyone else too just being there and and getting to be immersed in it when you know not many people are being immersed in live music (laughs) <laughs> Starving for it, exactly, exactly. I'm, yeah, I'm hoping when things open up that there's going to be people just, just chomping at the bit to go see shows. Um, I think that'll be the case. I think I really I mean, think that'll be the case.
2: Be. There's going to be also lots of people that are afraid to go out, and we just have to make do, man. Yeah, yeah. That's the only thing that's worse than the actual lockdown for me is the, is going to be the aftermath of people being afraid like you can't, i mean you have to be safe but you can't live in fear right you know take calculated risks
1: yeah yeah exactly exactly um
2: if you're like our age or whatever you know
1: if you're right if you know like my De- yeah d- depending on the health it does make a difference yeah. for sure um so you did you say you 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 just released an album or you're about to release an album
2: March 19th
1: March 19th yes, All right. tell me I tell have, me about this album
2: um <laughs> look have, at that I smile have, no, I just, I'm not used to talking about myself so much. This, <laughs> I know, it feels weird, doesn't it? Weird, yeah.
1: <laughs> You're doing a great uh, job.
2: Uh, this, this is the second release on this record. I'm on Mac Avenue Records. It's uh, one of the top jazz labels in the world, and it's very, they take very good care of their artists, and this is my second release of four uh, with them. And I, I knew something told me about six years ago that I would do this record second, um you know that was when the me too movement started to be a thing and fake news was a thing and all this other stuff i I started seeing a pattern like okay we're going down a pretty dark hole here Mm -hmm. coming up so i'm gonna do these songs there's songs on there that like prisoner of love as long as he needs me from oliver uh the, the the crystal song he hit me and it felt like a kiss that was written. Carol King wrote the lyrics and he hit me and it felt like a kiss. That's from like 1962, you know? So I'm do, I do some songs about um, abuse and I do songs about um, the, the sports page by Dave Frisberg, which is about fake news. Um, and I, that, there's a few of the singles that have been released so you can listen to them. It's okay. uh, the album's called This Bitter Earth. Oh, Which nice. is the name of one of the singles.
1: Yeah. So is it, is it all, uh, covers and your arrangements of pieces or is there yeah, some Yeah. I mean, in there?
2: Jazz, yeah. I mean, like it, in jazz music, we all do what I guess covers is what they're called too, but we say standards. Yeah. Um, and I, on my last record, I did a lot more standards cause you know, your first project that comes out, you, you know, generally want to include a lot of American songbook, but I didn't want to be branded as an American songbook singer. Cause I'm also bebop just within the umbrella of jazz, even. I do bebop, I'm doing contemporary jazz and all this other, Even there's even a rock song that I arranged for like modern jazz quintet sound. Um. So yeah, there's, you know, the Dresden Dolls, by the way. I don't know. No, that's a, they're a rock band. Okay. Uh, 90s, 2000s. There's a Dresden Dolls song on there. Um, and of course the Crystals, which is 60s pop. Um, but I do it like kind of, singer songwriter Bossanova, nova just me are so there's a lot of you know sounds that that actually work together in a cohesive sonically cohesive way it works somehow but then there's also of course you know songs from oliver and the king and i and prisoner of love is on that we have the standards as well uh south pacific song on there
1: oh great so did you pick more to have uh The cohesion in the sound or to fit the themes or did you make sure that all of those things were lining up
2: well whenever i do a project or a show or anything i think i you know it's like when you write a story it's like i always write title first i want to know the theme whenever i'm singing on someone's project i say what is the album's theme i need the context at the core and then everything just blossoms from there so i knew i wanted to make a record like the first one was a personal narrative and this one was really just like a modern you know, commentary, a commentary on modern issues. Not taking an opinion, because I don't, my wish is not to alienate my audience, but to just like present it in a right. non, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to do that with this album and I was thinking about all the issues that kind of, you know, plague the world. And I found songs, like, because I listened to so much music, you really, that's the thing. Like people say, how do you find these songs? You listen, it's plain (laughs) and simple. There's no secret. (laughs) You just got to listen and listen and listen. And, yeah,
3: yeah. you
2: know, you find songs and you dig deeper into someone's repertoire, like Dave Frischberg. And the the sports page was a boot, like kind of like a bootleg unreleased kind of thing that I found. And no one does that song and only Frischberg fans know of it. And then, of course, now I record it. I also record some of his other stuff. And th- those are the everyone's favorite songs. And they have now they know who Dave Frisberg is, you know? So I'm glad that I can shed light on these composers that people seem to have forgotten about.
3: Yeah.
1: yeah, And definitely. he's
2: still alive, too.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'm super, super excited to hear. I'll check out the singles. You said there's some already up on yep. iTunes and, and Spotify?
2: That's right, yeah.
1: Fantastic, so, um, what are all your roles in this album? Because I know you like to be very, very involved in these projects because you have so many thoughts and everything is so thought out and thoughtful. So obviously, you are singing and and uh, helping with artistic direction and stuff like that. but what what all do you do
2: in a in a project like this? well i'm I think I'm a little more hands on in like my rock and roll stuff and, you know, the other, pro- the other projects that aren't jazz related, just because my jazz, like, you know, I have a, I have producers that are there. I have arrangers on site. I have the videographer. So there's actually lots of people really, you know, taking care of, of the project. So I don't have to do as much. I get to take a step back and just deserve, okay. but on this, on this project, I, I was a ranger. Um, and except for, I didn't do the string arrangements as a uh, Steven, but yeah, arrangers, um, I'm, yeah, like you said, artistic director, um, singer. Um, I, you know, I do some kind of, I do the production with the producers as well. You know, we have a, we have a report. Um, but because there's just, everyone's got a role, I kind of get to take a step back on these projects. Um Sometimes I get to do originals as well. I'd like to, I like to keep them more in the, my back pocket for a project that I, I want to do with all originals. So yeah, yeah waiting yeah. to do that.
3: Okay.
1: So you have, you have not yet done an album of full originals. That's, that's somewhere no. down the, down the line.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think when I, I'm going to do an album of like this musical that I'm writing.
1: Okay. Excellent. Ah, I'm so excited for you. <laughs> um, so you grew up with two very talented and successful jazz uh, musicians as parents. What what was that like? And what what was your childhood like being so immersed in music and especially jazz all the time?
2: Well, I mean, a lot of times in interviews, people say, oh, that must have been so cool. That must have been this. That must have been that. And I'm like, you know, that's just the way it was. It's not like you <laughs> think much of that. It's like, do you do you think about the fact that you grew up speaking English as being so cool? And so, is this the way it is? <laughs> you know, Yeah. and, yeah, so, yeah. um, you know, I was meeting people like it didn't hit me until I was maybe 16 or 17, that the, the gravity of the people that I was growing up around, you know, people like Bob Duro and John Hendricks and Annie Ross. And I, I didn't realize the gravity of, the, of meeting them until much later. Um, so basically I was just, I mean, I still went to school and stuff, but on weekends or sometimes I'd be away for a long weekend or in the summer. I grew up going on tour with mom and dad and I was growing up. I'm an only child, so I was in green rooms, uh, you know, sitting backstage while they performed and hearing this music. It was just kind of going in and I was, you know, I might be drawing house plans for fun or, or something or writing stories backstage, but I'm still the music's going in there. Uh, you know, I be I like to tell people on stage, um, I was the 10-year-old sitting at the bar with the Shirley Temple in a color. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: can see you that. Know, <laughs> that was me. I
2: was just always around jazz clubs and yeah. festivals, but always around a lot of older people. So part of me kind of grew up very, in, very mature in a lot of ways. And then other ways I've kept my childlike, personality because I've had to entertain myself with Mm -hmm. imagination Mm -hmm. being a child.
1: Yeah. So, so growing up in that environment, maybe this, I mean, maybe you just kind of answered this question too, but was it ever a thought about what you do for a career or did it, did you just kind of keep you were, you were involved in music and you just kept being involved in music and then you ended up, you know, doing it as a career.
2: Do you, do you watch the crown?
1: I have not seen the crown.
2: Oh, you haven't, but you can imagine. So like,
1: I've heard it's great though.
2: You think about like when you grow up and you're like next in line for the throne kind of thing. Yeah, like, yeah, you grow yeah. Like knowing you have to fill that role someday and right. that, that weight of that duty falls on you. So that's kind of what it's comparable to. I never really wanted to be a jazz singer. Really? And people people get so mad when I say that because I've, I've been blessed with a very successful career early on and this and that. But it's just because that's the way my life has been. It's been dictated in that way. And and I see it as I owe something to, whether it's God or to this music or to my parents, I owe something to do that. I owe it to somebody to uh, fill the role that has been placed before me. And if I get to do that and do the other stuff that I like, then that's, to me, that's a successful career.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I assume though you do still enjoy... Performing and you? Oh enjoy. no, of
2: course I I do. Yeah. I just I just yeah. mean like it wasn't like a light bulb one day and said, I want to do this. You right. know, right? It was never like that.
1: Path <laughs> just kind of fell out, and and you walked it. Yeah. But all these other interests. I mean, this. I'm trying to just think where, do you know where these other interests stemmed from? Like your desire to be a filmmaker? And is, is it just all about the storytelling again? Just telling stories in different I'm, ways? I'm
2: obsessed, I'm obsessed with stories, man.
1: Yeah, um, yeah,
2: yeah. You know, I was a kid. I was on the farm, 250 acre cow farm all alone.
3: And
2: <laughs> i was, you know, just roaming the fields and I, I had to come up with the, you know, I came up with the most I mean, to me, I was just coming up with little stories and imaginary friends and this and that. But then I would tell my mother and she would just look at me and say, stop, this is getting too complicated. (laughs) Because the stories were so like Shakespearean and and the (laughs) plots were intertwining. And I had, you know, all this, I had all this in my head. And um, for me, that was kind of the first time I realized, okay, I have an affinity for something that's, you know, I'm onto something here. So if I can do, yeah, explore that as many ways as I can, that's.
1: Yeah. So what are some, what are some longer term goals from you if you've thought about it?
2: I want to like, I want to be known as, you know, kind of when you think of people like Lady Gaga, I mean, yes, you think of her as a musician, but she, you know, she's an actress and this and that, you know, a a lot of my heroes are Barbra Streisand, same thing. She's actress, singer, songwriter, and all these things. And, I, um, I kind of just want the name Veronica Swift or whatever to be the artistry, yeah. you know, That that's the long-term goal for me. So it's like two months on the road doing jazz festivals. And then i take two months and I'm on, I'm on set, you know, on site for this film I'm working on. And then mm-hmm. I'll two months on Broadway and then who knows? Yeah. That's kind of the long-term goal in terms of how I want my life to be structured.
3: I
1: think you're headed down the right path for that. <laughs> and do you, do you see yourself as more of an actress or a director or totally just a mix just some some projects you want to act some projects you want to direct
2: oh i mean some projects i definitely just want to be the actress you know mm-hmm. uh, um some and so it's really nice like when i do this with singing and i'm on someone else's um gig and i don't have to be the ringleader uh it's really nice to just do what you're told sometimes because right. i'm so used to having command over everything and and it's really mm-hmm. nice to take the back seat for once it takes a lot of pressure off and yeah relaxing actually yeah
3: yeah, um, yeah.
2: so I, yeah i would like to you know i'm sure i won't have the chance to direct anything major so that takes a little pressure off if i just can direct like local theater productions or a little indie film stuff like that and then work on acting more feature you know
3: mm-hmm.
2: major stuff that would be yeah. kind of I guess what's something that's feasible for me.
1: Right, right, right. Something we both face in our fields. Now me, not yet, because I'm just at ABA for the next few years, but mm-hmm. when I will be a traveling opera singer, uh, solitude and loneliness on the road is something that all opera singers talk about and that we've talked about before. And I'm wondering if you've had any, any revelations about that during because you've done so much traveling and you've you've spent probably so much time just alone with your thoughts in in a hotel room here and a hotel room there and i'm wondering how your perspective on it maybe has changed over the last 4 or 5 years
2: well you yeah, opera singers. you can't you really can't afford to go out and party <laughs> that's <I> mean, true
3: <laughs>
1: that's
2: thing i have I, even me me i am a vocalist i have to pick and choose but i still think i, I mean you know, when I say party, I mean going to a jazz club until 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. You know, and then catching the 7 a.m. flight, three hours of sleep. But mm-hmm. I, I think that there's a lot more lenience. Leniency. Lenience? Leniency. <laughs> leniency. leniency. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're not English majors. We're musicians.
2: <laughs> they don't pay me to do that. They don't pay me at all, as a matter of fact. No,
3: I'm
2: <laughs> um, I think as a jazz singer, I have a lot more... Uh, I mean, I definitely take care of my voice, but I think there's a lot. It's a lot more lenience with, um, you know, the care of my instrument. You guys have to be rigorous with your care. <laughs> that mean,
1: is, that is true. Yeah, if you're not, if you're not functioning full, it like gets, it can get pretty risky out there.
2: Yeah, you can fake it in jazz, you know. Right. Um, we, but we the thing about loneliness is that I mean, you guys really aren't traveling with a band, are you? No. You kind of. Yeah. No. See, that's the thing that. I mean, every now and then I, I travel and then I'm alone and then I'm with the orchestra. But even then, I like to get to know the orchestra and say, hey, let's go out for a couple of drinks, you guys. You know, But I'm always traveling with my band, my people, that's my family, my brothers. So if I do get lonely, I just knock on Emmett's door and say, hey, do you want to play a game?
3: <laughs> <laughs> and
2: um, yeah, that's the other thing. Like dating people is really you have to really have somebody that understands whether they are in it or not, like someone who really supports, because it even if they say they do, it it comes out in other ways and creates problems in your relationships. Um, and that's the most difficult part.
1: Right, right. That's a really tough thing because I guess the choice is either you just understand that your significant other is going to be gone all the time, or you go with them, which which has its own set of of difficulties. Right. Have you experienced both
2: throughout uh, yes. your time? Oh, I've, I've, Yeah, I've dated all kinds of people. And I think that's kind of the way I wanted it to be in the beginning because I wanted to, you know, be with someone who wasn't a musician. I wanted to be with someone who was an artist, but not a musician. I want to be with someone who travels a lot. Maybe they're artistically inclined. All different kinds of walks of yeah. life and all kinds of people. And I've also been with lots of, you know, people, different parts of the world, like Australians Mm -hmm. Europeans all different Mm -hmm. countries and that has taught me a lot that way you really just know what you're looking for and know what you want it's not being you know floozy it's 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 narrowing it down so you know exactly what kind of person you need
1: yeah yeah I think that's really important I mean you do you have to date people to to figure out what works and what doesn't
2: yeah not everyone's lucky enough to like find the right person firsthand like that
1: Right. right 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 yeah that's really that's really interesting. um I know plenty of opera singers who you know got married young and they were married through their yeah, whole career. That seems to be
2: very very like popular
1: It is surprisingly a popular
2: getting a drink
1: yeah, yeah, no problem.
2: It seems to be very popular
1: It does, and it's it's hard for me to imagine um I mean, I you know marriage. <laughs> i i feel no pressure for marriage anytime soon which is great maybe because of my field but my, for instance my voice teacher at usc rod guilfrey um yeah. who was who was on the podcast a couple weeks ago i know i saw um man he's he's fantastic but he was he was married with children when he was like 20 and then had this huge like that too yeah then he had this huge international opera career and they're their method was the whole family would go with him you know if he was over in Switzerland or or Austria the whole family would would uh would go with him, which is something I can't imagine but it, it worked out well, well that's I
2: mean. how I grew up you know
1: yeah 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 exactly
2: and it, and I mean I turned out all right
1: you did turn out all right, didn't you
2: I hope so <laughs> <laughs> um Pete, we're gonna be just fine
1: I think we're gonna be just fine, I think we are um. Do you think you learned anything that has helped your career from school or, or an educational setting?
2: Uh, well, w- <laughs> yes. I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying you, you go into school thinking you're gonna learn X, Y, and Z, and actually the stuff that you take away with you in school is none of, none of that. I mean, it, you use you, tools that you pick up, but the stuff I'm talking about what you learn from school not the tools like the skill set and all that but the yeah. stuff that really has an impact on your life at least for me personally was stuff like time management and patience and and just like just finishing something to the end something yeah. so big like school like college I, I, there were so many times i really just wanted to get the hell out of there
3: yeah
2: and especially cuz i knew I, I knew where i was headed and it was so close and i was gigging in new york and i just i could see the apple right and i was like i could just just <laughs> grab it if i could just just get out of school now i know i could go grab the apple but it may not have been ripe yet mm. you know mm-hmm. um i had a lot of things to develop artistically too things that i was working out um emotionally like my dad's passing and mm-hmm. the house burning down i mean a lot yeah. of dramatic you know, excuse me, shit happened to me.
1: Yeah. You and can I was, cuss. Like, I, I put the little E on iTunes so you can actually say cuss <laughs> words if you need to.
3: <laughs> uh,
2: but yeah, lots of dramatic stuff happened to me and including, you know, I, I was having trouble in my in my program too. Um, But I, you know, figured out a way to make amends and just find a way to make it work and get through and finish. Yeah. And that taught me everything I needed to, you know, needed in life.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did did you did you get to experience much of Miami while living there for school? I feel like I... You
2: mean the, the city or... Yeah,
1: yeah. I feel like I didn't really because, well, I was only there freshman, sophomore year. Well,
2: yeah, that's right. Yeah, you, you and I were only there for two years. Well, I experienced the parts that I... Like, I did go clubbing here and there, but I, then I kind of got over that pretty fast. And yeah. then I thought, hmm, I want to do this, you know, there's a strong metal scene here. Um, and Marilyn Manson's from here. And, you know, I'm, I'm really digging into that for some reason. So I'm going to follow that. So actually, for like two and a half years, I really got into Southern Florida, like rock and roll. So when it comes to Miami rock and roll and Miami metal, yeah, I did not really dig. I didn't really dig the beach lifestyle. I like going to the beach and, but I like it as vacation, you know, the lifestyle isn't, wasn't for me. And the club life wasn't for me and, you know, and I, you know, and I appreciate like salsa music and salsa dancing and like that culture, but it just wasn't like my lifestyle. Um, rock and yeah. roll was the lifestyle. Yeah.
3: yeah, um, yeah.
2: There wasn't much of a jazz scene either. It kind of dwindled through the years too. So I didn't have that either. Mm. And that was another one reason for my frustrations. <laughs> um, Miami had a lot of jazz clubs at one point and a lot of them closed down whilst I was in my studies down there, which was really, special. yeah. Like
3: I, I
1: like
2: did not the know that. Dyke was, the Van Dyke was an awesome club that mom and dad and I played at my first year that closed down PAX closed down lots of places, but there, there are a couple clubs that they're trying to keep them open, like ball and chain and Le Chat Noir. There's a few.
1: So were you at that time, were you thinking your career was going to shift away from jazz since it seemed like Miami wasn't, the hub for it and no, rock and roll was so hot.
2: I knew what I was. I knew where I was going. I just knew that I needed the departure to come back. I needed to learn something from rock and roll and and opera, like the, the theater and the drama and the edginess and the extremities of emotion. You know mm-hmm. that I wasn't really getting because I was around. You know when you're in an academic atmosphere, you really have to remind yourself why people play this music particularly jazz but you see it in classical too where it's like it's everyone studies everything all the time yeah it's like it can get a little bit like that
1: a hundred percent yeah especially in classical i promise right
2: right and so you really have to make that conscious and you know and you have teachers like shelly berg that give you that you know that energy energy Mm -hmm. and emotional energy that you know you need to do this music and so i was really glad to have him guiding me um and so yeah I I just um I needed the departure to come back Mm -hmm. stronger Mm -hmm. and and more centered
1: yeah I you know I had Shelly Berg for my what was it freshman year what do they call it I
2: know I know it wasn't
1: it wasn't it wasn't ear training they had some you know fancy freshman name for it I could tell I mean I knew he was incredibly talented and I was always amazed when he would do when he would demonstrate things for us but it was never enough to like inspire me to like work on my ear training like i really was just like music school is overwhelming and i eventually found it of course and and dove in deep but but when i was at miami i mean even though i was in the music school it was like the last thing on my mind and i feel i feel i feel a little bad about that
2: no i mean that's your journey and you've come back your departure then allowed you to come back stronger you know what i mean that is something
1: actually, um, not, yeah. not burning out too soon. I know plenty of singers that have, you know, we're taking classical voice lessons from the time they're 13. And, you know, by the time they're done with undergrad, they're like, I'm so I'm over this.
2: Yeah. Oops. You know? I'm sorry. My, my battery keeps telling me. it's.
1: That... <laughs> That's okay. We, we only have another, you know, five, 10 minutes.
2: Okay. Yeah. But we know so many singers that like, and I know so many uh, singers and instrumentalists that, went at it, went at it so many years and got the doctoral thing and this and that, and then they don't even do anything with music at all. Yeah, yeah. they're just like, I'm done. Right. That's, that's right, a shame right. to me. That I is. Just want, I don't want people to be turned away from music because of music school, but I didn't have that experience, though. I, I, I'm I, lucky to say that it did not turn me away from... I, I had an okay head on my shoulders in terms of what my goals were and what I'm taking from this, and I just need to you know, take the good parts with me and just look, look away from the bad parts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you, hopefully. and you went to Miami for jazz. I did. Correct? Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. I, so, got I mean, to you, college. I mean, you
1: were already, in my opinion, outstanding as a jazz singer and artist when you, when you got to school, as opposed to me going to Miami for classical voice when I had sung right. one, one art song, <laughs> and you know, <laughs>
2: but no but actually in the jazz programs especially with singers i mean think about the jazz vocal programs i mean granted there are a few high schools out there that really do focus on jazz repertoire and get the students prepared but really we're looking at jazz jazz programs are filled with singers straight out of high school that did theater they were pop singers or they did classical none of which have have much to do with jazz
3: yeah that's true
2: i mean these are these are there's some relations, but really, pop jazz. I mean, pop theater and classical are completely different
3: mm-hmm.
2: in their technique and their approach and the, the rhythm. You know, in in jazz, rhythm is everything. Yes, even above tone, which is not like the other
3: mm-hmm. genres. You know, mm-hmm.
2: in jazz music, I would say, have, argue that rhythm is 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 the king. Oh
1: man, you've got to have such rhythm. There are a lot of things that amaze me when I watch good jazz musicians, but just just the counting, just knowing, <laughs> literally just knowing where you are in a song to me was always amazing. Whenever we perform together, when <laughs> I would just be like looking over at you like, you could to tell me when to come in? Because I have no idea what's happening.
2: Oh, you like, know, this reminds me of a funny joke my dad used to tell, you know, you know, my dad, he, he his humor was very hard.
1: I loved it. I loved every second
2: of it. <laughs> he would he, he would do things like, you know, he would like we he, he would stand in the corner of a room not say anything, and then he would go, you know, we're we're, we're you know, let's say you and I are learning a tune that's like in five four, some some odd meter thing, and he stands in the corner and goes, you know, I can play five four, one two three four five one two three four five one. <laughs>
1: I love I loved Todd because he was so quiet so much of the time, but he would just crack a joke <laughs> under his breath. But if you were near him, if you were near him, you'd hear it and it'd be hilarious every time.
2: One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> cool, Dad.
1: <laughs> oh, what a great man. Yeah. What a great man. Here's a random one. Did you ever go to Key Biscayne and hang out in Miami?
2: Yes, I did. A couple times. Yeah.
1: That was my favorite place. Yeah, like, it was, like it was calm. Way better than South Beach, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. No, Key Biscayne is where you go when you're hungover and you want to just like oh. chill out for like a day.
1: It was fantastic. <laughs> it was no, never crowded. You could just camp out, just camp out into the and palm no, trees. was always the
2: family like grilling things and having always. a birthday party and like always. really loud salsa music. It was awesome.
1: <laughs> it was such good energy
2: I know Key game was good and Key, Key, was good. Key uh Key Largo Isla Mirada, too the keys mm-hmm. down there
1: yeah 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 um so you've lived a ton in cities and you've obviously lived a ton in the country as well do you have a preference or um do you love I'm sure you like different aspects about both of them
2: well, I go to New York to work. I mean, I, I always knew I was going to live in New York. Then I lived there for two almost two years, and I just said, I can't, I can't do it. I, I need mountains.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I need I need to just like, excuse my brat my rashness, but I need to be able to like kind of just be in my underwear or whatever and just open up the, the you know the the screen door and go ah. <laughs>
3: yes,
1: absolutely. Yeah absolutely I, I
2: don't yeah and like new york is congested the in the, the best parts of new york now in this time are not there you know right. like you can go out and hear live music on the street and it's freezing it'll be good when the summer's here but you know it's just like the reasons why we love new york are the clubs the night scene you know the the live music and theater and Broadway and yeah. This, yeah. this kind of competitive environment that is not there anymore. And it's, it's a disaster. And so I, I guess what I would like to do is to have like a house in the mountains, like hour and a half, two hours outside of New York. Cause yeah. they have the, bills, the Poconos, whatever, maybe the um, Adirondacks, who knows. And yeah. then I'd want to do a drive from the city.
1: I feel pretty much exactly the same. You know, I know. I mean, You're Ooh. i'm a mountain boy country boy for sure and i mean the nature of the opera world is that you you have to be in cities for opera houses yep you know that's yep. that's the deal so yeah i mean I, really the only way i want i want to live in new york is if i'm singing at the met you know the ultimate the ultimate goal for every opera singer but but otherwise yeah. <laughs> i'm just right. like I'm i'm happy being on my mountain you know yeah Um, I did like living in Southern California. There was something nice, at least where I lived in downtown Los Angeles, where you could walk to things. Yeah. The annoying thing about LA is it's a driving city, but if you live in a way where you can, like, I could walk to campus and I could walk to the grocery store and I could walk to the gym and take a Metro to the beach. That was wonderful. So I never really dealt with the traffic, which is like the worst thing about LA.
2: I've always liked LA too. I have a lot of my, uh, you know, my my management and my record label are based out there. So I, you know, when things open up again, I plan on making more trips out there as well.
1: Okay. Before we go nuggets of wisdom you would have for people for, I would say young jazz singers, especially.
2: Well, I have two nuggets of wisdom. One is for everybody. Young invest. Okay, good. Good. Invest, 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 invest. I mean, like once you have a sizable amount of money, whether it's from a family trust, I don't care invest That's because really smart, especially now that there's really no gigs right now there's it seems like i know there will be a future you just have to hang on but it seems like there's nothing right now and i am hanging on by a thread because of my investments and thank god for that because otherwise i wouldn't i would have to move out of this lovely home and sell all my furniture and move back in with my mom i'm not yeah. saying that's a bad thing but i'm lucky i have and i've you know if i'm financing this car which is my credits going up you got to think about these things yeah and i luckily my mother's was an investment banker on wall street before she was a jazz singer so she has the concept the concepts of how to save and and make make money from money just sitting you don't want it just sitting there so anyway yeah that's that's
1: literally that's a that's that is veronica's advice for everybody Everybody in the world invest when you're young. Yeah.
2: I've seen, I've seen some people like really play, like because I told this them, they didn't know. And then they started to like, you know, understand trading futures and playing the stock market. And now they're doing better than I am. It's like, (laughs) it's like, dang, now you give me some advice. Do
1: I get royalties?
2: (laughs) (laughs) In terms of advice for young singers or jazz singers, I mean, really listen. Like you can never do enough listening. I, I, there's really no secret to any of this, except just listen to as much music as you can get your hands on, and you can get your hands on everything. It's all out there. Um, you know, and like, that's one of the biggest questions that comes to mind is what should I listen to? And I mean, you just listen to who you like to listen to and, and do what I said, like trace it back to the source. And that opens up an entirely new world of understanding of this music yeah. and, and of whatever music you want to do. Yeah. Whatever genre doesn't just apply to jazz, all singers. And and also like really kind of learn an instrument, you know, learn a horn instrument for like articulation when you're scatting or also learn, you know, piano guitar so you can understand. I like the piano because I can see the orchestra right before me. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, orchestration, you can understand um, theory better and all that, you know, what you're hearing, then you can kind of put it to something tactile. Yeah. Yeah. So really, that's something that a lot of singers, you know, um, a lot of schools put singers in music theory classes with instrumentalists. That's a big mistake. It's a different it's a completely different discipline. So
1: I love that advice. Listen, 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 listen. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: gosh. People could never, You Even me, like I, I'm not listening enough to enough music and also like listen with people, because then you'll learn mm-hmm. new stuff. People who know your taste. And can introduce you to something new, and vice versa. Yeah. yeah. Listen communally. <laughs>
3: okay. Great.
1: Oh, Veronica, oh. this has been this has been so fun. I just want to give you a big hug.
2: You want to get lunch or something this week?
1: Yes, let's get lunch. Let's okay. do something. Um, you're so incredibly talented, you and too. and thank you. It's just I'm so I'm I'm rarely impressed by singers now as you can imagine, because I listen to great singers and a lot, of my, a lot of my colleagues are great singers. And I'm always impressed when I hear you sing. I really am. There's so much control and nuance and detail and it's fantastic. And I love you and this is fun. Too, and thank you for coming on my podcast. You're so welcome. Yeah. Bye. Bye.